morning, and welcome to The Skinny here on WMNF. I'm Mitch Perry, a reporter with the Florida Phoenix, joined by my co-host, Ray Rowe with Creative Loafing. Hello. And esteemed reporter, Ben Montgomery. Hey. Whose job status has changed a little bit since the last time I sat in the seat, but guys, it's great to be back with you both here today. Um, as you might know, uh, uh, you listen to the show every week. Uh, I was on last week from Tallahassee. I've been up in Tallahassee for the last month Uh covering the legislature up there for the Florida Phoenix. And I'll be back leaving again on Monday. This will be my last time on the air here again until next month. So I'm really, really happy to be here back in the Tampa Bay area. And there's a lot to talk about, a lot of stuff, so many things going on in Tallahassee. Even if you're really paying attention to a lot of it, you may not know all the things going on because there is just so much legislative activity going on. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm one of the people up there and you can only cover so many things here. So we're going to get into many of these things in a few moments here, but we're going to start off here, actually. And one thing I really want to talk about this is, is abortion ban, because this is coming up here. I think the Florida House is going to vote on this next week, uh, the six-week abortion ban, which is really the way they've, they've framed this legislation, basically trying to get rid of abortion outright in Florida, which I cannot believe is going to happen. But anyway, we'll get into that shortly. But we're going to start out by talking about hemp, because this is, again, what, uh, you may not have read about this. There hasn't been that many articles written about this so far. Uh, I did write one last week, which I would love for you to read on the Florida Phoenix's website. But um, this is a story that uh, basically it involves the burgeoning hemp industry in Florida. And so we've got a couple guests here to talk about this, including, if I can see him over there, uh, Carlos Hermida. Carlos is the owner of Chillum, which is a hemp CDBD store in Ybor City. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to see you. And also, we've got uh, Pablo. Pablo, I'm sorry, what's your last name? Uh, Bika. Pa- Pablo Bika. And Pablo, tell us your involvement with the hemp, and we'll get into that in a minute, but what, your interest in this whole issue here. Well, thank you for having me, gentlemen. Um, it's an honor to be here to talk about the hemp bill. Uh, I'm 1620 Marine, a.k.a. Pablo, uh, Marine, combat veteran. Um, I work in the cannabis industry, hemp industry, educating veterans and first responders about using plant medicine to help combat mental health issues. So the hemp bill is affecting the veteran population and the patients. So that's why I'm here today to talk about it. Let's, let's get into that. And basically in a nutshell, uh, so hemp, uh, 2018, we had the farm bill, Mitch McConnell, who was from Kentucky, where hemp is a big product there. He was really instrumental in making this happen. Uh, so the farm bill gets passed in 2018. By the way, it's coming up for reauthorization like it is every five years. And McConnell has said he's going to maybe address some of this stuff that we're talking about here in a moment because the federal government is not dealing with this. Okay, so 2019, we get a, a hemp, uh, you know, proposal. We get hemp going on here in Florida, and essentially, you know, the Farm Bill defined hemp as the cannabis plant with one key difference: hemp cannot contain more than 0.03 percent of THC, which is the compound in the plant associated with getting you high. Uh, so, the, the most lucrative part of the hemp industry has been uh, CBD, right? Which is this non-psychoactive compound that's believed to treat health conditions like anxiety, stress, and um, and, you know other things like that, and so and then we got a thing a couple years ago called Delta Eight, which uh, you may have heard about, and certainly is prevalent in a lot of these hemp uh, stores. And this is, and well, you know, we'll ask Carlos in a minute about this. Uh, it's supposed to give you, I think you, Carlos, you referred it as like diet weed, if you will. Uh, so not the stronger <laughs> high as, as a, a conventional, but but also maybe something more than nothing. Uh, and this has been a loophole that that was not addressed in the farm bill, and so. Uh, Delta 8's been a really big product around the country, and there's been a lot of concerns that all the states are regulating this. Some have actually outright banned it. That's not what the bill in Florida is. The bill in Florida basically would reduce the THC um, limits on that 
in terms of the products. So t- Carlos, talk to me about your your store and what you did before uh, the hemp, you know, 2019 and what, you, what you're doing now. So uh, w- when my store opened up uh, prior to the farm bill um, happening, um, we were we were selling CBD based off of the 2014 farm bill. And it, there was a lot of gray area there. And uh, basically, there there was a, a, an idea that CBD could still be on the controlled substance list. So there was about a, a year where my store was operating where we were concerned that the police were going to come in and, and raid us over this gray area. But in 2018, the federal government and Mitch McConnell and everything went in and, and, and took out all the gray area. They basically said that as long as the cannabis plant has less than 0.3% Delta 9 THC, right, the rest of the cannabinoids are no longer on the controlled substance list. So then in 2019, the Florida legislator passed a bill regulating hemp in the state, and it was put under the Florida Department of Agriculture's uh, job to regulate it. Um, and sometime around like the middle of the pandemic, Delta ATHC became pretty popular. And basically what Delta ATHC it's, is, it's, it's chemically structured, very similar to Delta 9 THC. Uh, effects wise, though, it's not as potent. It's about 50 to 75 percent of the potency of regular Delta 9 THC. So think about like about 75 percent the potency of medical marijuana. And that's really where the issue lies here. Um, the issue lies here is that there's, uh, there's medical marijuana treatment centers in this state that are licensed to sell medical marijuana. And we believe that they're um, producing an effort in order to get the hemp industry out yeah, of what, what, competition. Okay, let's stop you there. Let's talk okay. about that. Because, <laughs> no, because this is a, a charge you made. And, in fact, I put it in my article that some people said it uh, truly, which is the big, uh, one of the biggest marijuana companies in the country, not just in Florida, although they're certainly they're the biggest one here in Florida. Mm. And and I put that out there only yeah. not just that, that's that people have said that, right? And we did yeah. get a spokesperson from True Leave to respond back who says this is absurd, no, no, nothing doing here. But there is that perception because, well, let's talk about this. So we've got, and by the way, uh, there's bad news on the on the recreational front, at least in terms of the poll that came out yesterday. And I think you saw this, a Mason Dixon poll. So we're there's an effort right now to get recreational marijuana on the ballot in 2024. And people like Truly, organizations like Truly, are very much behind it, which is mm-hmm. good if you want this because they've got a lot of money and it takes millions of dollars to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot. A Mason Dixon poll that came out yesterday, uh, I think I have this here, basically says it's no sure thing. 50% saying strongly or somewhat, um, they would support that, 33% against. It has to get 60%. But the point I bring that up for is what you're getting at, Carlos, because there's there's a thought that um, can, medical cannabis isn't enough for these companies right now. Yeah, they're doing okay, but they could be doing better. They've invested a lot of money here. There's only yeah. 22 of them have licenses, by the way. We, you know, there's, there's going to be 22 more coming in at some point who've gotten licenses. So the thought is that you folks are, are, are putting out there that they, and by the way, they can sell hemp products at their stores. As Holly Bell said, that they can be in our lane. We can't mm-hmm. be in their lane. So that's, that's your, what you're thinking. You really think that this is, uh, coming from them well, in, a, in a way to part, hurt the hemp industry. The, the, the marijuana industry has, has seen, what, you know, basically a monopoly. Um, and True Leave has been the biggest player in that game. And True Leave, yeah, of course, they, they, they do have this initiative to legalize adult use in the state. But they've also enjoyed a certain amount of, of exclusivity to the product, right? Um, so they haven't had to compete 
really. And now that Delta 8 has become a thing, um, they're, they're competing against the hemp industry and they're competing against it hard. I mean, their, their stock has gone down considerably um, since these whole hemp bills have, have come out and kind of Delta 8 has kind of taken a kind of like a limelight. So, I mean, they, they really do compete with the hemp industry. And the thought is, and, you know, we can point to lobbyist dollars and things like that. We can't, we, you know, it is a cons- conspiracy. But, I mean, uh, the the idea is is that these, these uh, MMTCs are making an effort to stamp out all of their competition before they legalize so that they could be in a particular uh, uh, position to, you know, get that stock back up. And what's pretty Pablo in here, so the idea being, right, and I've got the numbers in here and you can read the article because actually they changed a little bit. So the initial bill on both the House and Senate were very restrictive about how how much lower the THC levels in these derived products would be, which you folks have said would like, why would anybody buy them? It wouldn't really. So, so talk to me about that, Pablo, in terms of the, how, what this does. And you talk about, you, you know, representing veterans here, that veterans like these products uh, and more, maybe more so than even using medical marijuana. And, um, you know, hemp and cannabis in the state of Florida, um, hemp is all legal in all 50 states. And in the state of Florida, if you have a medical card, then you're able to get medicinal cannabis, right? And um, hemp is one of those products. I do have a medical card. I am a patient. I am a registered patient. I've been for five years. The problem is the medical program has restrictions, especially a person like myself, where I need about 100 to 200 milligrams a day just to deal with injuries, surgeries, mental health. So when I go to dispensaries and I purchase products, which all the dispensaries have great products, the thing is, there's a cap. So you're only allowed to take a certain amount of ounces of flour out a month, certain amount of concentrates, edibles. Most people hit those caps. When you hit that caps, then what do you do? You're kind of forced to either go pharmaceutical route or go into the hemp. And for myself and for veterans, that's what we choose. A lot of veterans have been on pharmaceuticals, especially if you're coming from the VA. Um, they push the pharmaceutical on you. And as I've stated before, I'm not against pharmaceutical. I've used pharmaceutical to get on track. But at a certain point, it just doesn't work for me anymore. So I need an alternative and a holistic alternative. So that's where hemp comes in. And the state, the the regulations is trying to bring um, the milligrams down to two milligrams. As I said for myself, I need about 100, 200. I mean, I know patients that need about 500 milligrams a day. A day. Just okay. to deal with chronic pain and just, you know, just to get through the day. So bringing it down to two milligrams is 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 not fair for right. anybody. And on top of that, you know, what I can relate to, like if I had surgery on my ankle and the doctor says we're going to prescribe you 800 milligrams of ibuprofen to help with the pain, I imagine if the doctor said we're going to prescribe you 2 milligrams of ibuprofen to deal with the pain, right? It's, there's going to be no benefit. So same thing with such a low dose, 2 milligrams, is not medicinal. And for a patient like myself, it's just going to force me to go to another route, alternative route. And most likely it's going to be the black market, right? And that's what we're trying to avoid. That's why we have this medical program here so patients don't have to go into the black market. And for our veterans as well, veterans, they will do whatever it takes to get the relief. So you're really forcing veterans to go into the black market, getting stuff that's not regulated, getting stuff that could be laced. And on top of that, 
cannabis is something that you need to take on a consistent basis. Plant medicine is something you need to take on a consistent basis. If you get stuff from another market or black market, you don't know how consistent that is. So it could change your moods. It's not going to give you the proper relief. So the two milligram things, it's just not, it's just unacceptable. And it just really shows that they're not really putting thought into these laws and not really looking at the patient's views. Are other states uh, with uh, legal medical, uh, do they have rations similar to Florida's? Uh, some some do. The, I mean, the the rules for medical marijuana are just across the board from state to state. And, uh, they really are. Yeah. Pablo, just to back up a little bit, you know, you talk about using <clears throat> cannabis to, to treat on, on the human level. Can you talk about before you started the treatments and, and what your body and your mind felt like before you started it and maybe what your daily feels like and how your body changes once you start, um, you know, doing the medicine that you need to do. Can you talk about what it feels like and how uh, marijuana affects you? Yeah, I would love to share that, Um, especially from a patient's point of view and a veteran's um, point of view, too. Um, I started using plant medicine or cannabis when I was 32. That was the first time I used it. Before that, I never used any plant medicine, any type of illegal drugs, any of that stuff. So when I first used plant medicine and I first used cannabis, there's a thing called the entourage effect that cannabis releases in your body, where it just works with all the the parts, your neural system. Um, it's just amazing. So when that hit my body, the first thought that came to my mind was, I've been lied to my whole life about this plant. And ever since that day, I've been on this journey using plant medicine. Well, plant medicine does for me, it puts me in a positive mood. It helps with inflammation. It helps with pain. And on top of that, it's just something that I could just do naturally that I don't have to worry about overdosing or taking too much. Uh, I take ibuprofen. I had um, uh, tore my Achilles. I've tore my meniscus, tore my rotator cuff. So I'm always in pain. So I do take ibuprofen, but after a while, it makes me nauseous. It makes my stomach feel weird. So plant medicine is one of those things I could just take, feel comfortable about it, feel comfortable about it, and know that the benefits are everlasting. Plant medicine, especially cannabis, works as something you take on a daily basis. Like It's like you're building it up in your system, your endocannabinoid system that every single person has. Even if you never use cannabis in your system, your body produces two natural cannabinoids that everybody has, 2-AG and anandamide. So you're already producing this. So if you feed your endocannabinoid system with more cannabinoids, it does that entourage effects. It just helps positivity, energy, and as far as the actual physical, the inflammation. I'm always waking up in flame. Um, you know, I'm always very active. Even with injuries, you still got to stay active. So it just really helps me deal with the pain. And again, it's socially for my mental health. It allows me to be more active, go out in the community, not have that hypervigilance that a lot of veterans suffer with. And then also, too, it's just a great way for me and my veteran community to get together, um, reminisce about our military services and time, and not go into a panic mode. So can Plant medicine mm. allows us to really get together. Yeah, that is the voice of uh, Pablo Bica. He is a former military veteran. He's here along with Carlos Quimita. They're talking about this hemp uh, bill that's in the legislature right now that could really reduce the uh, THC milligrams and hemp products that uh, these gentlemen are talking about that say that could be really, really detrimental to not only the business side of it, but also the people with the patients who take this product. We're getting a lot of response here. Let me give out the phone number right now, 813-239-9663. Uh, we've got, uh, let's see, uh, 
several vote. These are such small uh, font here, but uh, somebody writes in as a medical medical card owner. I've become educated about True Leaf and uh, Cure Leaf BS. Cure Leaf is another of the big uh, MMTCs, and refuse to support them. Thank you for supporting such important topics. Okay, we've got also uh, somebody writing about Delta Eight here. Let's see. Uh, I've been using Delta Eight for several months now. It is helping me sleep at night when I do a Google search of is Delta safe? The first answer I get seems somewhat negative, saying there's a chance of accidental poisoning. Can While Mitch k- keeps reading, uh, can you talk about that? Is Delta-8 safe? Okay, so uh, the uh, the extraction process for Delta-8 um, is a little bit controversial. So uh, the way that Delta-8 is extracted, first off, Delta-8 is a naturally occurring can- cannabinoid. You can find it in small amounts in both hemp and cannabis. But uh, it's in such a small amounts that it's hard to get a concentrated level. So uh, the way this works is that uh, an acid is introduced to CBD, which does produce some harmful isomers. Um, now, that sounds like crazy dangerous, but the truth is there's things that in our food that is made this way. So uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that we can't produce enough vanilla to keep up with the ma- the demand for the taste of vanilla extract. Yeah. So vanilla extract is actually produced in the same way that Delta 8 is, right? Um, as long as this process is done properly, as long as it's regulated properly, right, it's more than safe. It's an FDA-approved process. So Delta 8 is actually very, very much safe. Um, but there is some, you know, kind of negativity that's coming from, uh, you know, really the MMTC lobby. Well, well, again, I think um, somebody said even in the testimony that nobody's ever died of, of, of too much Delta-8. Now, yeah. you've had maybe um, some some uh, bad reactions to it, uh, but nobody, like, even officially overdoses. He, here's the thing is that there's a number of calls to, you know, poison senders and things like that about uh-huh. Delta-8 yes. poisoning and parents that freak out about children that take it. But we, we need to take a step further and look at what the doctor tells these parents and it's typically eat a bag of Cheetos and get a nap. Like it's honestly just wait it out. The kid will be okay. Let him get a nap. And this legislation would prohibit these products to anybody 21 and younger, which you support. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. We we want to make sure that this this is safe. You know, we want to we welcome regulation. Regulation what? makes us more, uh, you know, more more suitable business. So let know? me ask you um, about the bill. There's there's a lot of things in it, but again, the, the the milligram level is the key thing that you guys are very concerned about. Uh, do you like other parts of this bill? I mean, because because it's going to happen, quite, Carl. There's going to be a bill here. It's going to they're going to pass. I would think something here. The question is in terms of how the hemp industry feels about this, how bad it is for you or how, you well, know. I'm dissatisfied in this bill in two ways. First off, I don't think it goes far enough to protect children. There's a lot of things in this bill that, you know, uh, requiring childproof packaging, uh, marketing assistance to make sure that no cartoons are, are, are used. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we could do in this bill to make sure that these products are safer for kids, and I'm extremely dissatisfied with the idea of the THC caps because it makes people like Pablo here criminals. <laughs> yeah, and and can I piggyback off of um, what Carlos was saying about the Delta Eight? So. <clears throat> 
Delta A is a product that I've been using for many years. Um, and again, ask that's a great question. Is it safe? Because I work with patients and veterans, and they're asking me all the time, is safe? And what I'm seeing that I think it's just a lack of education. I think we're still getting this negative propaganda about um, all the cannabinoids, all cannabis products. The truth is, remember about five, six years ago when CBD was coming out and it was just isolated and we're using CBD, they were saying the same thing. Was yeah. CBD safe? Oh, does CBD make me high? But once we gave them some education, they understood what CBD does, then it changed, and now we don't hear about is CBD safe. So I think Delta is in the same path where people don't understand or they're getting miseducated. And as Carlos says, there's companies that don't follow rules and regulations. So they will take Delta A and synthesize it and make it into other stuff and spray it onto stuff and then give it to patients, and then they have high anxiety or they just have a bad experience. And that's not what the hemp industry or hemp companies are. Um, this affects us because you're kind of throwing us all into one category, and that's not fair. The hemp companies, there's about, what, nine to 10,000 um, registered hemp companies in Florida, all follow rules and regulations, and that's what we're focusing on, the companies that are doing it right, doing it right, and the restrictions are just unfair to put two milligrams that companies have to try to sell. One, that's they're not going to be able to make much money selling two milligrams and patients are going to literally have right. to take double or triple the amount. Right, we're going to go to the phones. we got a call, caller by the name of Vibes is calling us. Uh, <laughs> good morning, Vibes. You're on The Skinny on WNF. Hello? Yes, that's you. Oh, this is Cushy Pies. Cushy Pies from Tampa. Hey, what's up, Cushy Pies? Cushy Pies. Cushy Pies. Pies. Hello, what's happening, Carlos? Air what's Force happening? veteran. Air Force veteran on the phone. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, thank you guys for taking our call. Uh, thank you for having these guys on the program today. Uh, just calling to show support um, fully. We we agree with that. Um, there needs to be an age restriction put in place to protect uh, children and the public so that CBD products and uh, hemp-based products are not, you know, just readily available for little children to walk up and, and take up and, and take up to the register, as uh, Senator Cohen spoke about. Okay. Secondly, yeah, um, we definitely do not believe that uh, there should be a cap, a THC cap in this bill whatsoever, based off of the federal bill that we are operating under right now, as you guys previously stated. Okay, great. Mitch, I'm curious, how much is... <clears throat> Thank you for the call. The, uh, I don't know, whether it's real or, or manufactured friction between you know, the DeSantis administration and, and Joe Biden play into federal things. So he's citing a federal bill, but then I can totally imagine somebody making this political. Well, I would How say, much are you well, feeling well, that up there? Well, uh, you know, DeSantis hasn't weighed in on this, but again, Mitch McConnell has, who was very influential in this in 2018. And what we have seen is there's over 20, I've heard 21, I've heard 28. I don't, there's over 20 states. That's what we put in our article to be safe that have regulated this. And they, the reason they say they're doing it is because the federal government hasn't, you know, come in on this because of this loophole from the 18 bill. And McConnell was quoted as saying, so he's the guy to look at here, not so much uh, um, DeSantis even here, uh, is, is um, that, or Biden, is that they're going, McConnell, the next farm bill coming up, he's going to try to address some of these things that these states are doing. Now, this bill is not as bad as other states, though, at least in terms of how it's formed right now. There are other states have banned, I think 10 or 11 states have banned Delta 8 outright. And that is, and in fact, I went to the, the uh, press conference with this, the bill sponsors and agriculture commissioner, Wilson Simpson, and I, I wasn't sure. I hadn't heard anything about this before they did that. 
And I said, are you banning Delta 8? We're not doing that. But then I went and watched the first committee meeting Burton held, which I know you were very, uh, a lot of people weren't happy about. So this is a very massive bill that could affect the industry. And one of the bill sponsors, the main bill sponsors, admitted she had not spoken to anyone from the hemp industry before she wrote this bill. Yeah. So that, that doesn't make you guys feel very good right now. Yeah, it feels like it was handed to her from someone else, you know. Um, it feels like, uh, you know, some, some, some form of party leadership wants right. this to go down. Right, right. Well, you know, it's 1130 right now. We'll keep you guys around here right now. I want to open the conversation. We'll continue to talk about this. I have this. a question. Yes, sir. Can I, uh, do you know, and do you know, do you know how seniors feel about this? Uh, that's a fast growing part of the population in Florida, that uh, fast growing medical marijuana using population uh, demographic in Florida. How do seniors, do seniors use Delta 8? Are they... I have quite a few seniors uh, that come and shop at my store, yes. Uh, There's uh, quite a bit of regulations uh, from the patient side of things. You have to visit the doctors uh, seven times. uh, Every seven months, you have to visit the doctor. Right. Um, And uh, not only is it their high price for the medicine, but there's a lot of seniors that don't trust being on on a registry list that the state keeps. So they prefer just to come into my store, buy the product real quick, and go ahead about their business. So, mm. and, and Pablo, you alluded to, you know, if this bill passes, what's going to happen to veterans who kind of hit that threshold and, and they hit a cap and, and they have to go to these other places? Um, Carlos, what happens to your store if this bill as this goes through? Well, I, so this would take one of my most selling, pro- largest selling products off of my shelf. Um, it would It would severely change it. I already buy from a lot of companies that manufacture their hemp products here in Florida. So whatever that turns out for them is going to be whatever replaces it. Um, But there's going to be a lot of demand for my product that's gone if there's a THC cap. Let me ask you this, because I heard, I think the guy just called up here. I, it just seems to me, and anything could happen, this bill could, could fall away, right? I don't, I shouldn't say like, we know this is going to happen. Uh, I get the sense it's going to, and the question is for you. I know you met, you were on a Zoom call with a Senate, Senate sponsor, Colleen Burton from Lakeland, is to get these legislators to understand about you've got to not, not make these limits so low. Mm. I don't know. I looked. Um, there's a couple states that actually have for packaging because you're talking about per size, per pa- um, per uh, individual uh, product, and then you have a package product level they're talking about here. Some of the states, I think Illinois. It's 800 mg's. I mean, there are some states that are a little, uh, you know, more liberal on this side. I know that's where you would like to go, right? Is that what you're you're yeah, hoping that, that happens here? If we can't uh, just get rid of the cap completely, um, you know, a higher uh, milligram dosage. Uh, the highest product that I have in my in my shop is a 2,000 milligram bottle. So, uh, and that's like you know, 10 gummies in there, 20, uh, you know, 200 milligrams a piece. So it, it, it's 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 pretty hefty dosage, but that that's one of the highest demand products because that's one of the best medicine products. So again, if you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to the Skinny here on WMNF. It's 11:33 in the morning here. I'm with Ray Roa and Ben Montgomery, and with our guests talking about hemp. And I'm going to open up the conversation here for the last uh, hour here uh, until 12 noon because. I do want to talk more about some of these other bills that are going on in the legislature because that's where I've been the last month and that's where I'm going back uh, on Monday. And folks, there's a lot of stuff happening. And a lot of it is very concerning. I mean, this is one bill here that might affect the hemp industry. We've got so many different bills that are coming through here that uh, are very, you know, again, I, I, the, the abortion bill, I want to go back to for a moment if I could. 
This is a very, very extreme bill that, frankly, I wasn't really. I heard, we heard rumors after during you know after Roe was struck down last summer and after Florida imposed a 15-week abortion ban, with no exceptions for rape and incest, that they would come back this year. But there were still a lot of questions, and you guys might remember Ron DeSantis was asked like during the one debate with Charlie Crist about this, and he pretty much. Uh, you know, he's been radio silent on this because I think he sees the politics as we've seen in Wisconsin this week with the Supreme Court vote there. What we saw in Michigan, where uh, all the Democrats won, they won the legislature back. Uh, abortion politics have been, frankly, I hate to put it like this, but have been good for uh, the Democratic Party for recent elections. Not so much in Florida. There are those who can think that if Ron DeSantis signs a six-week abortion ban, which is going to probably go to his desk in the next few weeks... Um, that this is going to really thwart his presidential ambitions, not so much for the Republican nomination. It may just make it easier, better for him there, but nationally, because it doesn't seem like there are no polls that say Americans are good with a six-week abortion ban at all, none at all. And so I would like to hear from our listeners, what do you think out there, uh, Radio Land? Uh, because I know I believe there's going to be an event tomorrow in Tampa, actually, a protest, I think, at uh, Likes Park tomorrow afternoon, actually, on this. Um, but this is going to happen. The Florida House is going to vote on this. That, this is one bill. We've, we've had so many things going on. By the way, I just went to um, cover a uh, committee meeting the other day. Things I didn't know were happening. Ignition, uh, what do they call it? Ignition locks? What is it? Um, uh, when they, what's it called here? Ignition interlock devices. So right now in the state of Florida, if somebody gets arrested for a DUI, uh, it's, your, your license is suspended, right? Uh, for a year. However, um, people can still still do drive with their car suspended license because they need it. Obviously, to go to work, what have you. Um, the only way that they put an interlock, ignition interlock device in your car right now is if you are over um, like 0.15 you know, drunk in, on the, uh, the bug alcohol test or you have somebody under 18. A bill that's being sponsored in the legislature, I think it's Nick DeSegli, actually, Pinellas is sponsoring this, is automatically, if you get pulled over for suspected drunk, suspected drunk driving, okay, and you, okay, I should say, qualify this, if you don't, and you refuse to take the, the test, that's what I should have said, I'm sorry, at the beginning, that's not so much, so you get pulled over, suspected drunk driving, you say, I'm not going to take the test. Right now, you don't take the test, your license gets suspended. That happens right now, but people, again, still drive. What would happen with this bill is if you, you I don't want to take the test, they will then, right then and there, uh, put this interne- uh, this ignition interlock device on your car. A court will mandate that. And you may, again, you know, a defense attorney said, look, we've got questions about these machines. Uh, they're old machines here in Florida. But this is, I think, you know, people who drive, you know, the listeners out there who uh, maybe some of us have drunk. We're not sure if we qualify under the limit or not. But if you get pulled over and you don't want to take that test, um, automatically you will lose. This bill goes through. And by the way, it may not because I was noticing that it's been up for several years in a row now and it hasn't gone through. But it only takes one time when one legislative session that is going on right now uh, in Tallahassee. Um, yeah. And actually and then oh, another one I saw I was at a meeting the other day about. So Confederate monuments. Remember, we had the huge issue in 2017 here in Tampa, the uh, obelisk in front of the Tampa courthouse. Uh, Hillsborough County Courthouse, big drama all year long, or summer long of the 2017. They said yes, and they said no. Then finally, the, pub, the private sector had to pay for it to remove it. And I know it's removed, I think, somewhere in Brandon, but I don't know where it is. This bill that they're pa- trying to get through right now um, basically says if a community moves it, that it has to be moved. It can only be moved to a, a place of equal uh, prominence. 
which would mean basically with the, 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 the monument we moved in Hillsborough County. Who's behind ago. this bill, Mitch? Jonathan Martin, a Republican senator from Lee County. Why? Yeah. Yeah, like, why do we need this? And by the way, there's 77 Confederate monuments still in Florida. Southern Poverty Law Center says we've had a lot of changes. Lakeland moved theirs a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, we've I think we've all covered this in the news, you know, uh, the last five, six years. But again, I think it tells you the politics in Tallahassee where it's like, okay, we're, we're, we have more numbers now than ever. Enough of these moving these things around. I mean, like, what's the point about that? You know, and so, and by the way, let's throw this out there. Jay Collins, Tampa State Senator, this bill is probably not going anywhere now, but Jay Collins had a bill he filed a few weeks ago that basically was about flags, flying flags, and it was basically going to get rid of the the pride flag, okay? Because it basically, it said in the language, all these different flags that could fly, including the Olympics flag, you could fly. uh, I'm talking about a city or county government or city government. uh, The uh, UN flag, you could fly. But it did not mention the pride flag. But in his original amendment, which he said, his staff said was an error, was the Confederate flag. They were going to, in this bill, allow the Confederate flag to fly and get rid of the pride flag. That bill, when when there was a hubbub about that, uh, that bill was withdrawn. And it's TP'd right well, now. So, so I'm wondering. Uh, so you've co- you've covered Tallahassee uh, how many years now, Mitch? Uh, well, off and on for over a decade, I guess. 10, for 15 more years. than a decade. Yeah. Is it different right now? Yeah. Well, I would say this because I'm not as there are people there for decades for longer than I. And what they tell me is that. The intense legislation that we're getting passed right now, these really heavy-duty bills like the union-busting bill, this abortion bill, these are bills that before um, they wouldn't pressure the lawmakers to, to vote on, that they were kind of tough votes for some of these Republicans to vote on because they're – and that's why they haven't been passed in the, in the, in the you know, previously. They're getting, they're getting all the ones that they really wanted to get done done this year. There, look, there's a supermajority. There's 65 to, what is it, 35 Republican versus uh, Democrat in the House, 28 to 12 Republican and Democrat. So they can do pretty much whatever they want, and and there's not going to be enough Democrats or moderate Republicans to stop them, those bills. That's the difference this year that I see because of the overwhelming number. Look, the, the, the controversy everybody was following in Tennessee and Nashville yesterday with these Republicans, I believe they have a supermajority there in, uh, in, Nash, in, in Tennessee's legislature where you can kind of do these kind of things that, Really, are they necessary? I mean, it, but when you have such one power party in power, you can do that, and that, and, and also Governor DeSantis. It's no it's no mystery. Wants to have a lot of big legislative accomplishments to run on for the nomination for president, uh, get it under his belt, and the and the House and Senate leaders have heard that, and they're following along. We have a big immigration bill, an anti-immigration bill, that would make it a third-degree felony if you transport somebody, uh, an undocumented person. I guess the key is knowingly, but nevertheless, I've talked to immigration or Latino advocates who are worried because they say they, they live with people, their they're grandmother, their people. There's a lot of undocumented people in the state, okay? Breaking news, okay? Uh, are we kicking them all out today? Uh, no, we're not, but this bill would kind of lead the path towards doing that. And also, by the way, there's 19 states that allow undocumented immigrants driver's licenses so that they can legally drive because they're going to do it anyway, probably, even though they're not legal. This would no longer respect those driver's licenses. So if you're visiting here from the state that has, uh, you know, uh, California that allows that, 
that would not be legal. So if you were driving, you got pulled over, you're driving without a license. And that's just one part of it here. It's got, they're going to take, make sure that everybody in a hospital who's getting Medicaid funds, which is like all public hospitals, um, you have to list, everybody's going to be asked, and that includes all of us listening here, you'll be asked your immigration status now uh, at, at, when you go to a hospital. Uh, they say they're not going to you know, go after anybody there, although people are concerned about that, but that simply it will be, give them an understanding of how many people we're actually treating in the medical system. So is, there's a lot of stuff Is anybody surprised right now that independents, which make up a third of voters in this state, haven't done a better job of organizing sort of against this more extreme agenda? Well, you know, I would just say politically, folks, in the 2022 election, um, I, never, I don't think I've seen hard numbers with the independents, but they obviously went for the Republicans. I mean, when Ron DeSantis wins. No, no, of course. Right. Yeah, no doubt. But, yeah. uh, but uh, is, I mean, uh, is it surprising that there's no, that there's no better organization against uh, some of the stuff that's extreme, right. like six right. week abortion ban? Right. Instance? Yeah, I'm surprised, Ben. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, you know, we can criticize the Democratic Party as not being very uh, robust these days, uh, you know, to, to stand up against these things. But right, the, the in terms of voter registration, the state is thirty percent independent, NPA roughly. It's like thirty-seven, thirty-five Republican, Democrat, something roughly. It's not that big of a di- even today. The difference between the number of registered Democrats and Republicans in the state is very is with two or three points. It feels like it's a lot more when Ron DeSantis wins by twenty points, right? If you're listening to this and you're an independent voter, I would love to hear your perspective on this. Are you okay with the more uh, extreme elements of this uh, agenda? Are you? Okay Okay, with the 6 week 813-239-9663, djwmnf.org. And, and while those calls maybe <clears throat> are coming in, Mitch, I'm, I'm curious about yeah. what, when you're talking to reporters, even other legislators and lobbyists, you mentioned a supermajority, an ability to get done pretty much whatever you want to get done, yet we're talking about, um, you know, um, immigration status, pride flags, um, drag, um, all the while Citizens is about to ask for a 15% rate cut. How much do you get a sense um, up there in Tallahassee that um, there's a supermajority, get something done? Are these bills just a distraction? Um, Because they don't, the party in power doesn't have any good ideas about bread and butter things like Inflation. I mean, Jay Collins represents a, a district that's experiencing inflation at a higher rate than anywhere else in the country. Like, does it feel like a distraction? Well, well I would say, like, the one, the, uh, they did pass a major bill on affordable housing, right? Uh, $700 million, which I know it, the, the, the critics are really upset about the fact that no longer can cities uh, or counties uh, put rent control measures, which are pretty hard to do right now, as we saw in the last year in the Bay Area, right? Tampa and St. Pete talked about that. They didn't do it. Orange County did. They voted on it, and it's in litigation. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, that. But I will tell you that, that the Sadowski Housing Trust Fund and uh, other housing advocates are happy about this bill, this affordable housing bill, um, because it is a lot of money devoted to something that they haven't devoted money to in the past years. I think this is an affordable crisis we have here in Florida. You mentioned property insurance. Uh, which is really worse than ever. We're getting reports all the time, but the Washington Post had a devastating story a couple weeks ago about what's happening in, down there in Fort Myers area from Ian about people who are getting nothing from their insurance companies. I believe there was actually a bill that was passed. I don't know if it was, it's completely done yesterday um, that was, or two days ago that was passed uh, that's going to try to address this insurance thing. That's an, in fact, Donald Trump came out against uh, DeSantis on this, on the insurance. And if you saw that a while ago, 
good issue for Trump to use against DeSantis because they're both Florida men here, and and it's like the insurance issue is is horrific. Now, by the way, Jan Centicord, who's a former eminent uh, programmer here, just wrote us in. She says, before you go to Tallahassee, let's talk about the bills covering condos and reserves. This is really horrible for seniors living in condos who are living off Social Security and small pensions. This will create a huge number of people who will not be able to stay in their homes. And as we well know, uh, affordable housing, low-income housing are extremely limited. The I original, don't know about this. Yeah, I don't I don't know about this. I, Jan has left her number. I'm going to talk to her Call afterwards. Jan. Yeah, it's a three two three nine nine six six. Exactly. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm going to forward this over to myself, actually, because I need to look this up. YouTube. Bill's coming so fast <laughs> that we don't even can't even keep track. No, there, there's a, you know the Times Herald. They they have a great article on the website today with their four reporters. You know they have four reporters up there. We have four at the Florida Phoenix. Um, most staffs, except for Florida politics, only have three or four. You can only cover so much. I mean, it's it's an amazing amount of legislation, and some of it might actually be good. I I, I shouldn't say everything is all horrible there, um, but then again, pronouns in schools. I'm looking at this list here now. I mean, when I look at some of this stuff, um, challenges to local ordinances. So this is a bill. Okay, a lot of preemption bills. This is a bill that will allow a single business to stop a city ordinance. Uh, from happening. So um, cities and counties, like the city of Tampa that want to pass something, they have to, uh, let's see, uh, it would, let's see, the measure requires counties and cities to produce a business impact estimate. Okay, that's not too controversial prior to passing an ordinance, but allows a business owner to file a lawsuit claiming the ordinance is arbitrary or unreasonable and stop it within 90 days. Basically, anybody could file a lawsuit and they would have to stop it, not wait for a judge to decide. Well, I guess a judge would have to immediately cut, but the judge would have to immediately look at that. Um, I'm not even getting into the stuff about corporate activism and all the stuff about, and then the education. I don't, I don't even cover education. God knows there's so many different bills that are going there. They're attacking, you know, going, uh, I shouldn't say attacking, but depends on what you're looking at there. Um, Mitch, I, I yeah. have a question. Slow you down a little bit. What would surprise people uh, about what, what happens in Tallahassee? Take us backstage just a little bit. If, yeah, what goes on and what, what would shock pe- people? Well, I think it's what's in terms of when looking at a democracy, which is just really tragic, and it doesn't matter what your ideology is, is that they put like in a two-hour meeting or sometimes they're three hours, like ten, eight bills that they have to hear, and they're going to make sure that they're all going to be heard. And that means you have people driving up from forget about Tampa, which is a four-hour drive, from Miami, which is an eight, seven and a half, eight-hour drive, or from other parts of the state. And because they have so many people there, now occasionally they'll go, let it go longer. But basically people sometimes are resorted to, you were allowed maybe three minutes. No, no. You'll get a minute. You'll get 30 seconds. And it breaks your heart to see people who, again, they travel. They woke up at four in the morning to come there, to get there one time, to, to, to go. You know, this is uh, America, right? You get to talk to your legislators. And technically you do, but you really don't. We actually had a story about this a few weeks ago. and it, I it's saw just, with the abortion bill when it was being discussed, people were limited to 15 seconds. Yes. And, and, and the reason he did that is because there was uh, there was too many speakers, and there was and, and I've seen some of those on the abortion. One time, they, a couple of times, they have gone longer. They have the Senate president says we got to call the Senate president. We're going to let people speak, but still to get everybody in, it would have to be fifteen seconds, or else it would be three more hours, and it's already gone three for three or four hours. They have gone along on some of the abortion bills because they've had to. It's like you have a human conscience to let and whether you're, you're you know pro life or, or anti abortion or whatever your side is pro choice. Um, um, you know, you know, it, 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 everybody deserves that. And I think and that's not a new story, certainly. But what, that's what I would tell you, being up there every day and feeling really bad for, for folks, normal folks who just want to have something important that really means something to them. That They drove a long way up there to redress their government. And that's what it's resorted to. And uh, I guess you could make you know, and we wrote a story about this, by the way. Um, 
Make the session longer than 60 days. Why is it only 60 days? Um, I guess some people who don't like government say, let's, you know, let's keep them away from Tallahassee so they can't do more damage. So many other states go for six, eight months. I'm sure this dates back to some kind of agrarian, you know, <laughs> calendar. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. But it's but every, I, I did a, I compared states and some are, are even worse and actually we pay our legislators only thirty thousand dollars but some don't don't even have any and some states don't pay their legislators at all believe it or not so um, I think it's a unique system here that we've had how many special sessions though right because they couldn't get into these things in within sixty days so I think that is something but it's one of those things where like. A good argument would be that you, you an old age old argument is move the state capital from Tallahassee to say Orlando or somewhere place more central. That will never happen. There's a too many entrenched interest in the capital to make that happen. But would that be good for the the twenty two million and growing state of Florida uh, for all these different heavy issues that we have? I think it probably would be. Uh, okay, we've got uh, let's see, we've got Roseanne uh, on the phone here. Hello, Roseanne. Hi. Hi. You're on the air. Yes, um, you were asking about people's opinion about what was going on in the legislation? Yes. Okay, um, just like on the side of, I was following what was going on with Tennessee 3, mm-hmm. and I was deeply moved by what was going on there, and I kind of thought back to when um, DeSantis took Warren out here in the Tampa area, and um, right. I felt like nobody said anything about that. Like, it's Tampa area, Florida just doesn't seem to get motivated about things that are, are happening with us. Like, it's Where's the outrage? Where's the outrage? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I'm, I'm 67 years old. I can't get out there and pick it anymore. Um, yeah, you yeah, know, I, I, you I, know uh, I wrote a book about a woman who uh, soloed through the Appalachian Trail at the age of 67. Roseanne, I'm I don't know. Get, uh, um, arthritis and other issues. Oh. <laughs> so if I can get that under control, I'd love. You it. know what might help with that, actually. <laughs> Roseanne, are you are you from Florida? Another thing about you, Roseanne, are you from here, uh, Florida originally, or are you from somewhere else? Or? Uh, no. Could you tell? <laughs> yeah, no, because I get that being from California. I mean, things about Florida, I've never gotten in the 23 years I've lived here, quite frankly. I mean, you know, so I'll just tell you that. I mean, um, so, but but we're, you're right now, we're, we're at a very particular perilous time in this history of the state in terms of the shift to conservative politics. Tallahassee has been, in the 23 years I've lived here, a very Republican-controlled place. It's We've, we've had a Republican governor for more than two decades, same thing with the legislature. Yeah. But but we voted for Democrats for high office. We voted for Barack Obama twice in the state. Yeah. We voted you know? for a higher minimum wage. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I, I think yeah. our, the people that are coming to the table to be voted on are, are lacking in addressing the issues. I mean, like, uh, following um, the runoff with, um, gosh, the senator. Um they just kept like hammering the abortion issue, which is huge, which is huge. But I don't think they address like the, like what they call the table issues, the tabletop issues. Of, sure. You know, like I'm a senior. I, I lost my house uh, with the crash and the turnaround after losing my job. Um, mm. I couldn't afford the house. Um, so. Right. There's bread and butter issues. Yeah. The bread and butter issues, as, as Ben was mentioning. Shaping, right. Yeah. Right. Then they're really not addressing. Right. And and I'm 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 an independent. I'm registered Democrat because uh, I need to vote for my um, the primaries. Yeah, correct, correct. And um, but I'm more of a progressive, independent thinker. You know, I think outside the box. And I just don't feel like they're addressing. They're not getting to the kids. They're not going to colleges and 
and, you know, getting kids involved like it seemed like they are in, te- in Tennessee. I mean, I, kudos to them um, that those That's- kids were out there. Uh, as, a, as an independent voter, how do you feel about the, the bills that uh, just sort of keep coming up uh, being cited as part of the culture wars, which upset. I don't really think <laughs> I'm very it's upset. that. I'm the very othering upset. bills that Ray was mentioning earlier. Yeah, the, the, these sneaky things that he keeps doing, you know, um, I'm, I'm not a fan. All right. Anyway, well, so. Rosa, thank you so for the call. Keep on listening and keep on calling. We really appreciate it. We've got Dave from Tampa on. Hi, Dave. Dave? Dave will... Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Maybe we have... Dave. If you'd like to call, 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnl.org. Dave, are you there? Okay, I... All right, no Dave. Okay. Call is, is that... Uh, Dave, is that John? you now? Okay. No, he's not here. Okay, Dave's not answering. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> Excuse me. Dave's not hearing me. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Carlos, uh, let's go to you guys over here for back the hemp guys over here. Hey, um, are, is there anything else you're, you're concerned about in the legislature that you've been seeing at all going on? Or? Do you do you guys lobby by the way? Do you, do you ever yeah, go to Italian? We yeah, we do. What is that like for you as a citizen? Um, I mean, it's a little intimidating at first, but I mean it. it it's nice to know that it's that option is there. We can knock on any door in the Tallahassee Capitol and stick our head in and tell people how we feel. So they let you in. Some people they are do, not letting you into the Capitol these days, right? Well, it's, it's a major industry, though, right? I mean, yeah. you, the hemp industry is, is significant. Well, That's the whole you, just, you just have to go past security, go into the Senate building, know which office to knock on, and just make an appointment. It's really that that simple. Yeah. Um, it's accessible. It's accessible. Well, I wouldn't say it's accessible. It's like a five-hour drive and like a two-block two walk. <laughs> but, yeah. But, but it, it's, yeah, they, they don't really take kindly to visitors at the Capitol. It's really hard to access the building, and I'm sure. Mitchell tell you, but <laughs> oh, hey, Dave, I think Dave is back. Dave, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? We can. Oh, good. Yeah, I was listening to you talk about and talking about people driving from Miami and so forth. Um, in Taiwan, for example, and I don't think it's the only example, they've been able to integrate information technology into democracy. So, for example, in Taiwan, they actually passed a law regarding um, rides like uh, Lyft and Uber. They made rules based on popular opinion where people came to a website and there was sort of an ongoing debate. And you could actually see visually where the consensus was forming around different ideas online. So it's kind of participatory democracy online, which obviates the need for anybody to get in their car and drive Mm -hmm. anywhere. But right. the essential problem here is that the state is so gerrymandered and so corrupt. These people aren't interested in Tallahassee. They aren't interested in hearing from us because they don't need they don't need to respond to our wishes that much. They don't need to be that responsive, and they know it. So well, there's that, two problems yeah. there. There's a refusal to integrate technology. There's a, few, a refusal to modernize democracy, and also we're corrupt. Okay. All right, Dave. Appreciate the call. I will say that. Right. You do see this in some of these committees from some of these legislators who are representing areas that are very red, that are never going to go blue. So and they have the majority. So when you hear um, arguments in, in a debate on the floor, uh, sometimes you go like, well, wow, that's a really great debate. And if that if you're watching that, if you're, you're neutral here, you would give a score to that that Democrat there in that debating point. I think sometimes I see Republicans even conceding that, but they just have the numbers. So they, they you know, when the permitless carry bill was up there and Jay Collins was up there and they were throwing all the stuff at him, he basically came back to it's our God given right to have guns. And 
uh, it was driving the legislators mad. They're like, "What? Where God? Where's that in the Bible?" You know, and um, <laughs> and and, uh, and and they actually made an issue on the abortion thing, by the way, about uh, God. And um, some of the Jewish legislators made an issue about, like, "My my God doesn't say that." It, it, we have anyway. It's but when you have the numbers, the overwhelming numbers, you don't have to win the intellectual debate. You've already won the debate when you won the election. And we had an election last fall where Democrats were. Uh, wounded, despondent, and decided in many cases not to vote. And that's why these well, close these close races were not close all of a sudden. And that's how Jay Collins beat Janet Cruz by 10 points in Hillsborough County, in a district that's always been close. Janet uh, Cruz had to go into overtime four years ago against Dana Young, uh, you know, recount actually. So, you know, uh, an election that was that close four years ago, just like it was, you know, uh, yes, we've had new Republicans move in more, you know, a lot of people move in the last couple years from coronavirus and they've been, they bring their conservative politics. But um, that's that's the scene what we're seeing right now up there in Tallahassee. But again, four more weeks to go. We'll see what happens. Um, look out for that abortion bill I next week. To, uh, I want to shout out Charlie Frago and uh, best wishes to him. Um, I know we only have a few minutes left, but on Monday, uh, Charlie Frago called me uh, to confirm the rumor that he had quit the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, he told me there were some philosophical differences arose between himself at the Times, and he did not see a path forward. Um, he resigned immediately. Um, and um, really, he didn't want to talk beyond that, but I thought it was so significant because at that moment, um, Tampa was without a city hall uh, reporter. Times, one of Times' world's greatest cities without a city hall reporter. It looks like Windy March has picked up some stuff um, out of there. But, and the election's uh, a couple weeks, Detroit. right? We've got a big election. Uh, <clears throat> the runoff's happening in two weeks. And that Janet Cruz, speaking of Janet Cruz, when her TAC race is, is A number one, uh, District 3, I guess it is, that's a citywide race, so that's a big one. It's a huge race, and yeah. you know, Charlie's been on top of everything in City Hall. And, I mean, anybody who's followed Charlie for the 10 years he's been at the Times, he did it in Clearwater, he did it in St. Pete. I mean, right. we remember a lot of that reporting out of St. Yeah, Pete. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was your era over there, and, and that butting heads with the, the, the Chrysler administration, so... It's kind of crazy to see a guy like Charlie. It's, and it's not good for the community. Bottom line is, we get, again, the reporters, that's what we're, we're, we're all reporters here. You know, the whole thing is to, to, to inform the public. I mean, that's what I find. If nothing else, I'm up there in Tally just to really write it accurately, let people know. People can decide they don't care, but it's up to us to inform them. Do you but, think there's more to dig into here, Ray? I don't know. I'm tra- you know, everybody that knows Charlie, he's he's Missouri guy. Show me, you know, stuff. And- <laughs> Isn't he an Arkansas guy? <coughs> oh, oh, Charlie, I'm sorry. Don't, don't. Oh, he was, right. he was uh, driving up to Missouri. We talked a little bit, um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a. I think there's probably there more have, obviously there's definitely something there. I mean, you just don't leave a, a prestigious job like this. Yeah, if as, only at we that knew time. A reporter at the times. I wish we did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we, we, any last words, Carlos? Or. Uh, just um, thanks for having Pablo? us. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, gentlemen, for having us. Uh, shout out to all the veterans who serve. All hey, well, the sacrifices. And, and what, I'm sorry, Pablo. And, yeah, and would you like you people guys. to call their legislators about this bill? Yes, yes. Please call all your legislators. Uh, you can find information on suncoastnormal.org on what legislators to reach out to. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll Suncoast keep Normal has a great podcast, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. Well, that's going to be it for us. It's good to see all you guys here. Great to be in the How studio. How do you find your podcast? Uh, suncoastnormal.org again. Okay, that's going to be it for us. Uh, You are listening to WMF 88.5 FM. I'm Mitch Perry. I'll be not here for many more weeks after this, but it's great to be here with Ray Rowe, with Ben Montgomery. Guys, we'll listen next week. As always, I'll be listening, whether live or... Uh, yeah, I think we might get Nikki Fried on. Thank you, uh, Spaceship, for running the board DJ for us Spaceship. today. Thank you for engineering. Um, to where's, where's my team and Paula? We're a little music oh, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, we got some. You listen to WMNF Tampa here. We'll see you in uh, seven days. See you.